Our text for this morning is Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, but it would help to have Matthew's gospel open in front of you, if for nothing else than to remind ourselves that this prayer of Jesus doesn't come to us out of a void, but the context, as always, does matter. So let me read Matthew chapter 6 from verse 8. Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like them, that is, both the Gentile and religious world alike, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And here's our passage for today, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Your endless mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me home. Loving Heavenly Father, would that endless mercy of yours follow us even now, as together we come under your word, and by your Spirit it does your work in our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, where will Jesus' prayer take us next? We started by praying the most insanely privileged words it's possible to pray, Our Father in heaven. Words that transform prayer from a dull religious duty to simply spending time with the Father who loves us and has all the power in the universe in his hands. Then came our first request, and it was deeply, deeply strange. We had to pray that this Father, the holiest being it is possible to be, would help us to hallow his name even further to recognise reality in our own hearts. And now, after the most insane privilege and the strangest prayer, comes the most ambitious thing that we'll ever ask God to do. This morning, we're going to pray the impossible for our world. We're going to ask that God would bend time itself and put the end of the story into our hearts today. But you see, the gospel does play fast and loose with the normal rules of time. Jesus' kingdom is both now and not yet. He arrived on the scene in Matthew chapter 4, and his very first sermon announced that the end was at hand. The king has come, and now it's time to bow down in faith. And yet, as the story progresses, we discover that this king is bringing about his kingdom in a very unexpected way. He will be crowned on a cross. And his people will have to wait with the rest of the world for the day when he returns in glorious majesty to bring his kingdom to its fullness. He rules now in every Christian heart. And yet, at the same time, his rule is not yet. This world is a riot of rebellion, and that riot is raging even inside us who trust him. And so this morning, we get two petitions that fit side by side, both asking God to do something now, today, 
that really belongs to the end of time. Would your kingdom come today? Would your will be done here on earth today? Would you rescue every heart from the grip of this age, beginning with my own? Make something true in our hearts right now that at the moment is only really possible in heaven. And most of all, Father, would you bend the arc of time itself to speed up the end? Help me to long for that. Now, maybe they seem like crazy things for you to pray, crazy ambitious. Some prayers just seem too hard to pray, don't they? And if your heart is as wed to this life as mine is, it seems impossible that God could really change that. But more than that, maybe these things are hard to pray because we don't really want God to do them. Thy kingdom come. In other words, bring on the end of all the things I love far more than I know I should. And thy will be done. Help me not to live the way I really want to live, but the way you tell us to live. Are you ready to pray those two prayers? It's not very comfortable for us to major on eternity in our values rather than the here and now. But if we're Christians, we have to believe that eternity comes first. It's kind of the point of this whole Christian thing. And Jesus is saying here that if God has put eternity into your heart, then let it rip in your prayers. Let's be brave enough then to pray this gospel time warp because our father is more than up to it. Two punchy requests in petitions two and three of this Lord's Prayer. We're asking that God would win our hearts for heaven and that heaven would rule in our hearts here on earth. First then, Father, would you win our hearts for heaven? When Jesus prays, let your kingdom come, what does that mean? Clearly not, Father, would you rule sovereignly over everything and everyone? Because that's something God already does, whether or not we see it. It is a simple reality of living in his creation. God is sovereign over everything all the time. So when Jesus talks here about a kingdom, he's using that word in a more special sense. God's kingdom is wherever grace reigns in the life of human beings. The kingdom is wherever the sovereign rule of God through his King Jesus is acknowledged in the human heart. That kingdom arrived when the king arrived, and it's the king who gets to define it. He did that in his very first sermon when he told us how to enter. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So God's kingdom isn't a region. It's a realm. It is wherever human beings cast down sin and Satan as king over their lives and lift up Jesus instead as saviour and lord turn away from our own ways of living, turn away from our own ways of trying to be good and trust Jesus as king over our lives and the only saviour of our souls. Jesus told us that the door to God's kingdom is repentance and faith and that door is open right now. 
But one day, the Bible tells us, that door will close. The king, the king will return. And at that moment, every knee shall bow, whether they like it or not. Christ's rule will be acknowledged then by everyone, whether we're on the inside or the out. And we're asking God to speed that process up. Would your loving, saving rule be acknowledged today in every human heart, beginning with mine? Make me a trusting subject of the king. Take our eyes off this present age. Shake the grip of sin and Satan off our hearts and make them his. Now, for God to answer that prayer, the whole world would need to be changed, wouldn't it? Either every living human being will need to bow their knee to Jesus and gladly call themselves a Christian, or he will need to come with the sword and put this world right by force. But either way, this is the one thing we pray in the Lord's Prayer that cuts through every human heart. We pray that the God we hallow would be bowed down to as king by everyone. Everything else we pray in this prayer is for us. Our daily bread, our debts. We there is the church. We is the people praying, God's children. But this is the one thing we pray for the entire world. Did you notice that? Now we come to church every Sunday and we tend to have two main times of prayer. One short one as we draw near to God and a longer prayer of general intercession as we pray for the church and for the wider world, we give a lot of our time to praying for outsiders. And that's good. That's a loving thing to do. But what should we be praying for them? Well, it's not wrong to pray for an end to poverty, to pray for political stability or for justice or peace or the next big international summit. Those are good things to want. But how do our prayers stack up against this one general intercession in Jesus' prayer? Jesus tells us there is nothing kinder that we can pray for our world than that he would rule in every heart. And that is because Jesus is the good king. His will for human beings is true, perfect freedom. So when the good king reigns in every heart, then we'll get all those other things thrown in as soul by soul and silently the shining bounds of his kingdom increase. There is nothing our world needs more than rescue by Jesus Christ, because right now we are in open rebellion against him. This morning we remembered two world wars, maybe the two most brutal and messy scenes of that riot that still haunt our collective consciousness. But there are many, many more, aren't there? 70 United Nations truck drivers this week carrying aid to some of the poorest people on the planet, detained by the Ethiopian government, all because one ethnicity is at war with people of another. Ugly and cruel and cold and heartless but a rioting mob always is. 
Sometimes it takes something as ugly as a war to show up what is always true in the human heart. So what is the most loving thing you can pray then? In the middle of that, surely it is come Lord Jesus. Only then will all the brutality and chaos of this riot be put down forever when he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Now, if we were going to make an honest assessment of our lives right now, would it really look as though we believed that? That the only hope for us and for this entire world was in the coming of God's kingdom? Look up again at the context we're due to this prayer and ask yourself, what is it that Jesus saw people valuing? Verses 1 to 4. Don't do all your good deeds for praise here on earth, or you'll have no reward left from your Father in heaven. What do they value? Verses 5 to 6. Don't do all your praying for the praise of people here on earth. Pray for your father who's in secret. He's where your reward comes from. Do you see what they value? Our eyes are perennially drawn to the here and now, aren't they? To praise here on earth. Success here on earth. But Jesus is saying, eyes front. Your hope really does not come from the things that seem so pressing here and now. So pray with your heart set on eternity. What you long for really does tend to shape everything else, doesn't it? This time last year, our family finally caved in and bought a puppy. The kids had begged and begged and begged. And so we told them the news on Christmas Day, but there was a good month or so until the puppy could actually come home. And so for January of 2021, We were a family without a dog, and yet for that time we lived and breathed puppies. The first thing the kids would ask to see after school was the latest photo from the breeder. We chose collars and beds and bowls and bones. We set up the house. We watched endless training videos. Our dog had a master's degree before he even arrived. A few months later we had another baby, and I tell you, she did not turn our lives around half as much as the puppy before he'd even come home. We were a doggy family, long before any dog actually darkened our door. Because what you really long for, what you think will truly make you happy, that shapes the way you live more than anything else. Well, to long for God's kingdom is to long for God's king, isn't it? Thy kingdom come is about longing for Jesus. And if we think it's Jesus coming that will truly make us happy, well, we will be Jesus people, even today. And as we pray every day for his coming, we wrap our hearts around that hope more and more until it truly does become the operating principle underneath everything else in our lives. So that even before he's arrived, his kingdom arrives in our hearts. And if we love our world, we'll pray that he arrives ahead of time in every heart, because that is what will truly bring joy and peace. A missionary prayer then, if our first love is our father and our first desire is his name, then the first human expression of that will be to long 
for the worldwide spread of his worship. Win over every heart for heaven. But we can't want Christ in our lives then if we're not willing to have Christ in our lives now. And that's why this next request belongs together. When we pray, thy will be done, we're asking God to rule in our hearts here on earth. And this one really is the miracle, because here on earth we have two massive problems, do we not? The truth is that we don't really want to know God's will for our lives. In fact, we're unable in ourselves to know God's will for our lives. And then even if he makes it plain, more often than not, the reality is we want nothing to do with it. You and I think we are far happier doing our own wills. And so we dig in our heels. The longer catechism puts that in far more enjoyable language. I love this. It says we have to pray this prayer because by nature, we repine and murmur against God's providence. Did you know that's what you do? It makes us sound like a bunch of pirates, doesn't it? repining and murmuring against the good God and his will for our lives. Grumbling. Now, God's will here doesn't mean his secret hidden will. His will in that sense is being done everywhere at every moment because he's the sovereign king. And the Bible doesn't encourage us to go prying into that. What job God has in store for me, or whether this one is the one that I should marry, or when Jesus will return, or how and when I'll die, those sorts of things simply are not given to us to know. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, says Deuteronomy 29. But there are aspects of his will that God has made very plain. How to live, and who to trust. Whoever we end up marrying, or whatever life we find ourselves living. And because our hearts are so deceived by sin and selfishness, we could never figure out how to live his way on our own. So God has revealed it for us in the Bible. And those things that are revealed, says Deuteronomy, they belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. And so here's the state we've got ourselves into. We ask God for guidance. We ask him to reveal his will. And then in his love, when we read his word, we find that's exactly what he does. He tells us plainly how he wants us to live. And by his spirit, he even helps us understand what it means for our lives, for our marriages, our relationships with our kids, our money, our time. God tells us plainly what to do. And then what do we do? Well, we grumble like sulking pirates. Isn't that true? Because the truth is, even when we bother to search out God's will, we'd often rather do our own. But here's the miracle, at least according to those people 400 years ago who wrote that catechism, the second half of this prayer is asking that God would take repining, murmuring grumblers like us And then help us submit to his will, not grudgingly, but with all the cheerfulness of the angels in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? Heaven is where God's kingdom is already in full flower, where every rational creature does what God says perfectly, with a heart full of love and humility and faithfulness and joy. And we're praying that here and now, our selfish hearts might do the same. 
ours and every other, on earth as in heaven. Just like with a puppy, we're asking that God would make the future a reality in our lives today. Make me cheerful in laying down my will today and doing yours. Help me to live life backwards from the goal so that heaven reigns in my heart right now. Now, I'll be honest, to me, that feels rather like praying for an Olympic triathlon medal when I still get out of breath just relaxing in the hot tub. I can't even be godly and cheerful as I get my kids ready for school. How on earth will God work a miracle like this one? Take me from grumbling and grudging obedience to cheerful self-denial. Well, I think the answer comes later in the book. The answer is that God has begun that miracle already. Jesus Christ, the true king and perfect man, he knelt down in a garden and showed the world just how costly it is to pray petition number three of the Lord's Prayer. Not my will, but thy will be done. He went to the cross in obedience to the Father, ending the first human life since the fall that was lived in an entirely unselfish way. And as he paid for your sin, you Christians, he also did something else. He broke sin's hold over your life. When you became a Christian, your heart was one for heaven. His kingdom gained a foothold. His spirit took possession, giving you the power at last to say no to everything that had ruled your life up till then in his place. Not perfectly. In fact, coming to Christ just plunges us into a great battle, doesn't it? Not perfectly, but truly. It's at least a real fight now. You do not have to yield. We could never kneel down and pray, thy will be done, if Jesus hadn't knelt down and prayed it first. But he has. And now, every time we pray it with him, we can take a deep breath and look at his cross and count the cost and offer ourselves to God afresh, full of thankfulness. Help me today, God, who did so much for me, Help me to care about what you care about, not what I care about. Now that, I think, is going to mean two practical things. Number one, we'll want to know God's will. And number two, we'll want to trust God's will. First, it will mean that we are deeply committed to searching out what God has revealed. We'll want to know his will. This isn't a blind fatalistic prayer, just let whatever you want happen. No, this is about submitting in our hearts, kneeling down to the will of our Father in heaven. And if we're going to do that, we need to know what his will is first. So how do we grow then in understanding what God has revealed for our lives? Well, the obvious place to start is the Bible, isn't it? That's where God speaks. We'll be serious about asking his spirit to search out our hearts and open our minds as we read and as we come under it together here at church. We'll be serious about 
listening to Christian friends and wise older believers as they help us apply the Bible to our lives. There's a sense in which we can speak prophetically into each other's lives, not by revealing new things, that's not what the prophets did, but by helping each other apply the old things that God has already said to our lives. As we read God's word together, we should expect him to speak into them. And I think we should also expect that as we pray. God doesn't speak to us in an audible voice. He's never promised to put words in our heads. There's there's nothing wrong with you as a Christian if you don't hear that. Prayer is when we talk to him. But it is a genuine relationship, isn't it? This kind of prayer is father time. It's about spending time with him, sitting down with a real personal God who loves us. And as we spend time with people, we change, we grow more like them. As we talk to him and we share our burdens and especially as we pray in line with Jesus' name and Jesus' priorities, most Christians will tell you God does slowly and gently begin to reshape their hearts. As you talk through what it is that's on your heart, he helps you see what really matters. As you ask him to help you believe and understand his word, he speaks to you through it more and more. And as you ask him for things that are a little selfish and self-absorbed, very often he gently helps you realise that. He speaks through your conscience. He makes things clear, convicts you of truths that you've always known, but never really applied. But it is easy to be proud here and to think that we know more of his will than we truly do. We can't automatically know what God thinks on any issue. Our hearts are just too untrustworthy, too curved in on ourselves. We can even find ways, can't we, to wriggle out of the Ten Commandments where he's spelt out the meaning in black and white, but we are not trustworthy. So often we absorb the human way of thinking about things without even questioning them. Or we're prone to massive reactionary swings in the other direction. What was God's will for Christians, for example, when it came to the COVID response? Well, we all assumed it was simple. Just go along with what nice people everywhere seem to think is right. But all of us had some repenting to do on that, no matter what side of the fence we sat on. There were important things God has plainly revealed, but we needed him to humble us and teach it to us again and help us think it through with cool heads, starting with the Bible. What is God's will for Christians when it comes to the climate movement? Us elders had a big discussion about that this week. It is not simple. It's not at all easy for any of us. There's loads of what the world believes that we should be right behind. But there are also strands of the green ideology that deny things central to the gospel. And so God needs to teach us his will. And we need to be serious and humble about listening because fallen as we are, we don't know it automatically. And secondly, once we know God's will, we need to trust it. And the truth is, I think that is a lot harder. We're praying here for something 
crazily ambitious but wonderfully beautiful that we would obey cheerfully. And for that, trust is going to be everything, isn't it? How do we submit to him as quickly and joyfully as the angels in heaven when we discover that yet again, God's will puts us massively out of step with our culture and even our own desires? Well, that's when we need to remember once more who it is we're praying to. This is our father who gave everything for us. What is his will? It's the good of those who love him. God's will is the product of his infinite goodness, infinite wisdom, infinite love. Who do we really think knows what's best for us? Our will is fundamentally finite, fundamentally fallen, fundamentally untrustworthy. So that even when something truly feels deeply right, we can never see the whole picture like he can. If it feels right to us, but God says no, the one thing we can be absolutely sure of is that it is us who's not thinking rationally. And one way or another, we'll discover that in the end, won't we? Our wills, our natural wills, cannot be trusted. His will is truth itself. Our way is regret, shame, bitterness, resentment, and cascading consequences every time. His way is freedom, happiness, health, comfort, and life every time. And so as Jesus holds us by the hand and helps us pray, he says, choose him. However hard it seems, choose life. You can do it cheerfully, joyfully, gladly, because he really is your father and you really can trust him. Well, let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, thank you that how we are now, how our world is now, is not the end of the story. Thank you for the hope we have that your kingdom will come, that one day your will will be as natural and joyful to us as it is to those around your throne already. Thank you for the Saviour who lived and died in perfect joyful submission to you so that our place with you could be guaranteed. Haste the day, Lord God, when he comes again. And until that day, as his word is preached and his loving voice is heard, would his kingdom be born in so many hearts that our world is utterly transformed and filled with the joy of heaven, starting right here and right now in our own. For we ask it to the praise of your glorious name. Amen.